Hello and welcome to the Stringer Podcast number 39. Tim Thompson, editor, filmmaker, just sports dude extraordinaires on this week. He and I have known each other, I think dating back to maybe even my pre-MLSE days. Like that's got to be, that's like 10 plus years. We've known each other for quite some, Dylan, do you, do you know? You're going to do, you do the, the math on this one? Is that what I'm, you're... I'm, I'm, I'm not actually going to do the math on this one. Uh, funny story about this one. If we make some old references in it, it's because this has been kicking around for a couple of weeks. If you remember last year, we took a little bit of time off around Christmas uh, as I kind of made my adjustment to the new office, and, and, and there was no podcasts for weeks. This, we didn't take time off. But it's just we had so many interviews to get out and get to you. This one was just been in queue. So we have Tim Thompson lined up. I'm really excited. At Boundless on Twitter. That's Boundless with a zero for an O. So it's B-Zero-U-N-D-L-E-S-S. Or it's easier on Instagram. At Tim Thompson Films. A quick reminder. KJ and Caldwell, a football podcast, is live. Well, the podcast is live, like you can listen to it, but they're sh- doing one live on February 28th at the Rivoli, 7 p.m. Special guests, we're just, just, just about to announce them. Uh, we know who they are. You don't know who they are, but we're allowing you to get the early bird tickets. They're 20 bucks each. You can find them at a footballpodcast.com. Okay, before we get to Tim, we have the Stringer Big Weekend, and this one's especially special once you'll find out why february uh friday february 15th banff center mountain film festival this just look cool starts at 7 30 p.m at the ted rogers hot dog cinema 506 bloor street west i don't know i'm a mountain guy have you ever been to banff though no are we going to banff we're not going to damn it this one's in toronto uh you can find tickets at torontobanffilmfest.org slash tickets it was launched in 1976 and the toronto section hosts a selection of the best films during a three-day festival in toronto every march so that is almost right now they're holding it obviously in february this year uh they just wrote march in the thing and we didn't proofread so moving on to saturday saturday february the 16th the arkells are playing at the Scotiabank arena 7 30 p.m if you don't know the arkells shame on you friend of the pod this might be the most judicious uh way anyone has used friend of the pod most liberal ever max kerman i know him through people that i know uh and the boys from the arkells take the stage at canada's best venue that's not written anywhere i'm just gonna go out and call it that as part of their rally cry tour i'm gonna be there mike and greg veerman are gonna be there both of them have been on the pod in different ways uh, even Kylie, who, if you listen to those old 2017 podcasts, you'll know her voice. She's going to be there. It's going to be a party, and I hope to party with you. Dell, are you going to be there? I hope to be there. I need some tickets, though. You need some tickets? Oh, you ruined my whole... I wanted to use People's Champ. Uh, oh, well. We're looking for a People's Champ, and so I'm going to just push through and do it anyway. And so is Seat Giant. Head on over to SeatGiant.ca, use promo code STRINGER, and you can find tickets to the Arkells show this Saturday, and you can save yourself a couple dollars in the process. Sunday, February the 17th, the Leslieville Flea. At the Toronto's Distillery District, I just picked this because it was close to home, and I'm into vintage shit, salvaged, upcycled goods, furniture, antiques, collectibles, and work from select artisans. 50-plus vendors will be there on Sunday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., uh, 28 Distillery Lane. You can learn more at leslievilleflea.com, and if you're in the neighborhood, hit me up with a tweet. We can grab coffee because I live right there, and uh, I love the neighborhood. Remember, our ideas aren't for everyone. 
No, they are not. They're just for people who are like me and think just like me. So if you don't like them, you can do one of two things. You can either reach out to us with your own ideas or your own things coming up, and we'll be happy to promote it at Stringer Podcast on Twitter or events at thestringer.ca. Or you can go to seatgiant.ca and figure out what you want to do with your weekend. They have concerts, sporting events, theater, live shows, comedy, all these great things. And you can save money on the tickets by using promo code Stringer. It's just that easy. Promo code Stringer. I sound like I'm a really crappy 60s uh, TV commercial. All right, Tim Thompson coming up for you right after we do the thing that we always do. Uh, quiz for you, Dylan. What is one instrument that Max Kerman doesn't play in the Arkells? I'm going to guess the sax. Because the last thing I want you to do is get caught TMZ style. And I'm like, whoa, Tim Thompson just drops that he thinks this about William Nylander. No, I'm joking. You're not going to trash William Nylander. I think half the city loves him, half the city doesn't love him. But let's start with somewhere we commonly love. I think uh, there's three areas that we can really meet minds on, and that's hockey, and that's music, I hope, and that's film. And you probably get this a lot, is that you get introduced to someone, and then someone's like, oh, yeah. I've seen your work mm, yeah, yeah. and you totally get, get known and recognized. When did that start happening for you? When, when did that start happen? Like when you look back, when was it like, Oh yeah, yeah. You're the CBC montage guy. I've seen you every single Saturday for like, as long as I can remember. Mm, yeah. I think I'm going to toot your horn a lot. <laughs> I hope you're prepared for that. Okay. Well, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm a quiet guy. <laughs> um, I think, it was pro like with the proliferation of YouTube and I guess maybe when Twitter got going, Merge Jeff Merrick, I didn't really know what it was. This probably would have been like 2010, 11-ish, somewhere around there. And he was like, you got to get on this thing. And like I knew kind of what it was, but yeah. I didn't really know what it was. And I'm just like, okay, he's like, watch this. And he put something out there about uh, this is the guy that does the openings and stuff. And, and that is when... <laughs> kind of blew up and I was like, like oh my like, people are talking about it yeah it's strange and then um they started getting on YouTube and then because I guess of that handle things kind of grew and grew and grew um there's a guy Sean Fitzgerald who yeah, a writer who you know, at really the time well. was writing for the uh National Post mm -hmm. and he uh we had sort of I didn't actually never met him. He just contacted me and said, Hey, um, I noticed there's this sort of groundswell around these things and there's all this buzz. Uh, I'd love to do a story. So he, in the playoffs one year came in to CBC and sat and hung out for the afternoon and just kind of watched and we talked and, uh, he did this really beautiful, like <laughs> almost like, wow, like that's really a long article. Yeah. <laughs> like this big, you had so kinda, many words to say, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this big expose on these things. And, uh, and yeah, so that's sort of, uh, and they ended up like doing a photo shoot, which is weird. Oh and like, uh, I think I had jeans, like a lowest of the low t-shirt on. Like I didn't really, you know, equate that they were going to do that. And so this which actually is no better representation. I think of you, it's, it's uh, jeans and a lowest of the low t-shirt. It's an honest representation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no like suits going on for this thing or anything. And, uh, so yeah, it was cool. And then it, it, I guess that kind of put a face to it. And then, so people who are 
you know, who knew about the whole Twitter world or the YouTube world or, or read the papers and stuff. And that led to, I think there was a Sports Illustrated one very soon after, like it crossed the border a bit. And uh, the guy there had, has done like two or three articles during those oh. years in Sports Illustrated. And then there was one in the Toronto Star. And then Dave Stubbs, who was writing for the Montreal Gazette, did a really beautiful one um, during the final year of Hockey Night there. Um, this Dear Canada thing I did, this Toronto Montreal one, and that kind of blew up. So yeah, all these sort of things popped up over the course of between maybe 2000, I'd probably say 2012, 2013. Um, and that uh, kind of just blew up from there. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was weird and cool and, uh, interesting. And they got to the point where there's a couple people in the street and stuff. I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> cause I'm, I am really kind of quiet, shy dude. And, uh, uh, but yeah, it's really neat that people sort of gravitate to and kind of get something out of that and feel something. So Tim Thompson on the podcast, I feel bad because I jumped right into like hardcore reporter mode. I was like, okay, let's get to the facts. When did this start happening? And it was a hard question off the top, so I'm sorry. No, no, it's good. I, I promise, <laughs> usually I'm more charming. Maybe we just wasted the, all the charm on the tour of the office. No, no, we got well, East End Coffee and office tours no. <laughs> gen- generally to good things, so I'm good. I'm good. We're ready. <laughs> um, it's a lot of fun for me because... The editor, like the role of an editor traditionally, if you think of a big film premieres, I don't care what film it is, it's a big one. It's La La Land or an Avengers movie or like this really like passionate art house film. Very rarely does the editor get the spotlight. You have the producers and the directors and obviously the cast. And I think that's what I loved about that period. But I'm like, wow, this is really neat for me, who was kind of dabbling myself in a little bit of producing and some editing. And I was trying to shoot and trying to do all these different things. And in our community of Toronto, in our community of hockey, and as kind of a a Canadian thing, here you're getting recognition. And for me, I was like, oh, that's really neat that people can assign talent in the right way. Does it ever become like obviously you're appreciative, but do you ever really take that in or always like I don't know why they're talking to me, but they want to talk to me again? Yeah, no, it's 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 incredibly humbling and really cool. Like uh, just to get a reaction out of someone, I have a lot of friends who are musicians uh, around town. Some are really well known, some are not well known, and uh, I always love talking to them about that whole f- feeling about like why do you, why is this why do you do this? You know what is the reason that you want to be a musician for your life or painters or an actor or, you know, doctor, lawyer, whatever it is. Like I get often just kind of talking to people about what it is that makes them do that. Like kind of feel compelled to do that. And back then I did a music doc on five songwriters around between 2006 to nine. Um, and sort of exploring that question, like it's not an easy life to, um, every job is hard really, but like, especially in this country, the arts is, uh, you know, very, very hard to make a living. And, uh, you know, you better be in it for the right reasons or else it's probably going to lead to, you know, disappointment or something. But if you're there because of the art and of making something that will make people feel or think something, then, you know, that's, I remember my friend Basha Bulat is an incredible songwriter. She said like the prize is getting to do it for a living. Like that's the, um, that's the thing that, you know, if you're in it to make millions and millions of dollars, you know, you'll probably be disappointed. Maybe you'll do it. But for the most part, if you're in it for the art to make things that will make someone cry or want to climb a mountain or run through a wall or just make them think uh, of the world in a different way, then, then that's why I do it. And that's why I, that's the stuff that I like. Um, 
So from the get-go, it was like, oh, maybe if people are reacting and getting something out of it, then perhaps it's succeeding in in doing what I think art is supposed to do. And that's, as I said, make people think and feel. So yeah, like the fact that people want to talk about it, I love talking about it, like not about myself, just about the idea of work itself and about music and about all sorts of stuff. And it just, it always inevitably leads to you get talking to someone, oh, I love those openings or whatever. And within like a couple of minutes, you're off talking about something else that inspires both of you or something like that. So I think it's just sort of like a common, uh, you know, you jump in these lifeboats with people and, um, you know, if you're in it for the right reasons, I guess that's the, the bottom line for me is just, uh, equating that with maybe people getting something out of the work. So I love that analogy of jumping in lifeboats with people. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's almost when I started doing the podcast, uh, I had said to Dylan, I said to a couple others that I spend so much time interviewing people because I have to, it's my job, which means you're always kind of driving to a thing. You get sent out, you're like, Oh, you need to talk to so-and-so about his new contract or about his hundredth goal or whatever it might be. And I really wanted to search and find a way to just talk to people that I respect and so respect and admire and people that I've grown to consider friends or associates of mine and not really have to drive to a point and just be able to meet minds with them and be on a lifeboat with them for this time period, for this hour or however long it is, just so that we can enjoy the fact that we're both human and we're both passionate about things and we can probably find cross passions between us mm -hmm. yeah and that's such a hard thing right now in this crazy world you know everyone uh is scattered you know to the nth degree and constantly busy and you know attention spans are everywhere and uh i guess that's one thing of this whole thing is like if maybe to riff on the earlier part of making you think and feel it's also like cutting through the white noise maybe and you know i don't want to ever be a part of the white noise like i want to make things that will do what I, you know, will have that impact on people. And, and yeah, I think you find your, your people, so to speak in life and you gravitate towards those that, that do the same kinds of things that you do, like com completely different things, but the same style, the same credo or ethos or blueprint or whatever. Again, I keep coming back to it, but do these things for the right reasons. And, and then, you know, you can live an incredibly fulfilling life, no matter the financial circumstance or the, whatever circumstance life gives you, if you can be content with what you're doing and happy with it, then, you know, geez, what, what more could you really want at the end of the day? When I got my first chance to dip my toe into documentary filmmaking. And so I, I, I came from a writing background and then I think I just wanted, and I got into reporting and then I realized really what reporting was. And then I was like, well, I just, I wanted I want to discover people again. And that's when this voice said in my brain, I, I kind of want to discover what everyone's passion is because we all experience it. We all experience passion in our life. It's just each of us experience differently because they're different things. And that's a really intriguing thing to kind of be able to unwrap and, and, and discover in people because you can meet eye to eye and say oh you love this like i love that yeah that's incredibly powerful and as i was saying earlier it's like that's that thing where you talk to someone who's passionate about whatever it is that they do and you just find that common ground and you could not know anything about it but be interested enough to ask questions and and then you quickly realize like wow that same passion I have for music or film or whatever is the same that this person has for building structures or, you know, building gardens or painting or whatever it is that they do. And it's really cool. Like you can really zero in on people quickly. And as you said, everyone has their own unique thing and that they hopefully will find that they like to do and love to do in this life. And I hope people find that. Uh, I'd hate to think that someone would go through and not have that thing that 
maybe they have two things, but at least that one thing that, you know, makes them feel complete and, uh, you know, not to sound cliche or whatever, but it's really kind of that thing that gives you purpose almost that aside like your relationships with, you know, family and stuff like that. But it's that thing that gets you up at, and excited to get out of bed in the morning. I remember doing this kinds of stuff and I would work my day job at CBC all day. And then I would go home and do side projects all night and then maybe sleep for a couple hours and get up super early and do another four or five hours before he went into work. And it just didn't dawn on me that like it wasn't punching a clock or anything. It was just this kind of life's work that I, you know, never really let go. You just always sort of building and, and creating and, and working towards finishing whatever it is that that project entails. And, you know, I think that, yeah, that idea of purpose is really, really cool. Looking, looking at the, the hockey night days still, I'm sorry. I promise we're going to move past it. No, it's we'll, we will. It's not going to be, you know, all the time. Just it's all part night. of it. So it's but, good. Yeah. uh, your connection with music was blatantly evident, yeah. right? Your love for music because it was, first of all, it wasn't some library track that you search and you pay a royalty for. And it's just, you know, it's standard hockey hitting music where you put to fast cut highlights. Um, what was the first or, or some of the first that you really remember connecting with and being like, oh, they're going to let me do this? Amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and you're able to put your musical influence on, on opens. Yeah, that was something I was kind of adamant about doing like I didn't want when you do that to it to be the same like oh it's you two again or you know it's the same big named thing all the time um I'm incredibly ingrained in the music industry in Toronto and I guess across the country as well but so I know all these people and uh, a lot of them are my friends and I just have this catalog of music that I listen to all the time that was just speaking so loudly as to perfect being perfect for this kind of thing so um I'm trying to remember, I was, like I said, I was doing this music doc called Born To It at the time. It was about these five songwriters from Toronto. Um, one was a guy named Wayne Petty who was in the band Cuff the Duke. And I remember using one very early on. And, you know, that kind of a thing wouldn't have been necess- wouldn't have been on that show before that. And But the song was incredibly beautiful and perfect and and ended up doing it. And I remember Ron McLean just loving it. And he became a huge fan of Wayne's and Cuff's and... Uh, um, that sort of was a, one of the early ones that just kind of, they started leaving me alone and they, like, they wouldn't really ask like, what's it this week or whatever. And it was led me on this path of being able to just follow my muse and whatever kind of fit the situation. And it was amazing. Got like the real statics on and Sarah Harmer and Kate Boothman and Basha Bulad and Lois to the low and, uh, Alan Piggins and like all these, uh, amazing artists that, you know, a lot of people might not know, uh, who they are, or at least not in this context. And so that was a big thrill for me to not only get your friends on there, but, um, just it worked. Like I would never put something on that didn't perfectly encapsulate what I was trying to say that week or whatever. Like I just couldn't do that. So, um, I will never admit to how much <laughs> I would listen to music to find that, especially that cause it was week to week and then playoffs night to night or every other night or what have you. So it was just like a constant filter of listening to things, trying to find, the thing that would tell that story that night kind of perfectly. And, uh, like just, it was like over and over and over. And I, when you find it, it was 
Oh, I would just have it on repeat on my phone essentially and just walk into work and walk home and just listen to it all day long. And just some songs I knew like the back of my hand, but still when you something about listening to it and when you're walking around the city or something, it just opens up new ideas or if there's ever a log jam, you know, trying to figure out uh, how to pick the logs, so to speak, to get it moving again. It was always uh, walking around listening that always did that. So yeah, um, there was a whole series of them and then it just sort of built and built and uh, became, I guess, kind of the maybe one of the focal points of those things was like just the music. And that was a huge concentration on that and, and lyrics that really told, like it wasn't just one line of a song that would work. It was like everything in there was done for a specific reason and a purpose of whatever the sort of feeling was that night. Um, so yeah, it was great thrill, but also to work with, uh, we got to, geez, man, we got to debut world premieres of a whole bunch of hip songs and Gord Downey solo songs and Sam Roberts songs and um, all these artists and people that I got to know and love and um, do like world premieres of their music on this thing that the Leaf game was going to launch out at. And it was a great thrill. Got to, you know, go with Leonard Cohen song one night and Neil Young and the Sadies and like all this stuff that really got me uh, fired up and it just worked so well, I think. And it just, uh, yeah, it was a thrill to make these little things that would launch out into the country and um, kind of forget about that audience and, you know, how many people were watching and, uh, yeah, those nerves kick in before, but like when it went out and people would get excited about a band or, and they would go find it. Or I remember Al Piggins, uh, who was one of the guys in my music doc used, uh, in the playoffs one year. And he told me after that he was in a band in the nineties and stuff. So he had been through the ringer, so to speak. And, uh, they did really well. Yeah. It was called, they're called the Morgan fields and mm-hmm. they were kind of signed as like record companies trying to find Canada's answer to Nirvana, which they weren't. And you know, how that industry works is, uh, kind of follows trends and stuff, but he, you know, kept at it and is fiercely independent to this day. And, uh, but, uh, the point of that story is he said that his usual, uh, check from iTunes is usually about $20 or something, uh, you know, in between records or whatever. Yeah. There's just, you know, people, the trickle. people just don't buy music anymore yep. and stuff, but he would usually get about between 20 and $40. And when that thing aired, the next check he got was for 2,800. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of cool. It kind of showed you a bit of like the, the influence, the, the impact on that. It yeah. wasn't just people glossing over something that they took the, you know, the care and the concern to go listen and go find and go seek that thing out. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. So yeah, moments like that were really kind of touching and thrilling for me. And, uh, um, yeah, it was, yeah, I loved it. This is neat because I, in a way, and it's not meant to freak you out, but I, I get to sit here with, I consider one of my mentors, like you just well, by watching you, you, you intrinsically, pick up things because you watch over and over and over and it's like some of your favorite films or reading some of your favorite books you you kind of or even you saying that you listen to a song over and over because you you just want something to seep in mm-hmm. and, and, and get into your soul and get past just the, the 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 frontal part of your brain where you're just analytically kind of going through it for me i remember the first one so i'd already seen a bunch but the first time i was like what is he going to come out with this weekend i think it was a cranberries tune I think okay, that's, yeah. it may have been zombie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm guessing awesome. on that. Okay, yeah. But uh, I remember that was the first time being like, okay, I'm ready to see what's about to come. But I think what, now that I'm able to look back on it and what resonated with me, and, and you touched on it a minute ago, is the fact that the story harmonized with the music, harmonized with the visuals. And that seems so simple to say, because that's really what you're supposed to do. But so often one of those things, you're like, well, we got to show every single Austin Matthews goal that that he scored in the last two months. 
And so you abandon the story of it all or you abandon the emotion that you find in the music. Um, and so you t- taught me just by watching to make sure those three are in harmony because I feel like that really is what propelled these artists. When well, when Alan said he, he, he got a much higher check, you know, from iTunes, it was likely because people could now resonate with the tune because it met the story they loved and it met these visuals that they loved. And also that you can tell a story you don't need like minutes and minutes and hours and all this footage to tell a story. You can tell a story in a short amount of time, uh, just as long as you know what your story is and you know what you're keying in on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really neat to me. And do you see your own, like when you see stuff of yours or sometimes see other people's stuff, do you see your imprint on it? Like, do you see your, your thumbprint and you're like, Oh yeah, I understand the things I do and the things I like over and over again. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, cool. First of all, thanks. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank uh, you. Like, it's it's been neat to be in this city during this time and to see art come out of some of the least suspecting areas. Yeah, yeah. I love like I get tickled when I have lots of like tons of things over the years where people would say uh, I hate hockey or hate the Leafs or whatever, but I can't miss one of these things because they just something and it just gets me fired up or, or what have you. And that's really cool that people can pick up on that. Um, cause you don't know, you just make these things and put them out there and how people react, like it's anyone's guess, but the fact that people catch on to that and like, cause there is an incredible amount of care and concern put into like every shot, every frame, every piece of music, like what lies under that or, you know, it's, uh, yeah, so it's nice that people catch up on that or pick up on that stuff. And yeah, there's nothing, there's no bigger thrill, I think, than finding that perfect piece of music. Like when you find like, okay, that's the one. And then you just launch in and you just like kind of reckless abandon. But there's also this other thing that always, and it still happens to me, almost like with everything I do, there's a moment, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but like pretty much to every piece I've done is like at some point you'll be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Completely. I'm a fraud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Everyone's going to figure me out this time. Yeah, it's just like what I have no idea what I'm doing anymore. This is crazy. And then sometimes it's 10 minutes later. Sometimes it's the next day. It's just like, oh, of course, this is it. And then you go off and and then boom, off you go. Um, And then maybe you need that bit of like, I don't know if it's doubt or whatever, but just like, I guess it's an honest approach to it. Like you're not up there faking anything and this has to mean everything or else it means nothing. And I don't know if that sounds too precious or not, but to me that was like, it had to be everything. And I don't know if it's consciously or not, but I don't really watch, I don't watch hockey anymore on TV. Uh, I don't watch a lot of that kind of stuff. So I never really pick up on what other people have been told. There's lots of, you know, the thumbprints down, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And, uh, um, and that's cool. Like if people picked up on it and have a go or whatever. And, uh, I just hope that they're, you know, doing it again for these reasons, uh, you know, to honor the music and honor mm-hmm. the game and honor whatever you're trying to do that night. And, you know, there's nothing worse than like a popular song being put down to like, just like, oh. yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is that? The, that it has, um, I mentioned him earlier. I have a really good friend who is uh, at Maple Leaf sports entertainment. He's a creative director and he, he always tries to every every campaign every like you think of uh, the centennial year the big presentation they did there mm-hmm. he tries to boil it down to one or two words and he says because if I can look at every frame every piece of footage every and it's the litmus test it does it speak to this message or not yeah. and if the answer is no yeah sure it could be cool like whatever 
There's lots of cool. We work in sports. There's tons yeah. of cool stuff. Yeah. But does it speak to this message mm-hmm. that we're trying to get people to, to to feel and understand? And that always connected with me too, uh, as the effort and the drive. And that's really the the story you're trying to tell through the medium, which is you know whether it's an open or a big piece on the video board or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. Like the footage is all amazing these day and age. Like there's right, like, <laughs> like it's there's crazy. more cameras and stuff than ever covering everything. But it's how you frame and how you brush it. Right. I guess is the difference between something that's like oh a bunch of loud music to white noise yeah. like thing that you'll see and go oh and then it ends and you yeah. go on with your day as opposed to something that you just kind of zero in on and yeah. uh, and feel. And I guess for me maybe the ultimate example of connecting the two. Um, I feel like after the hockey night years like the stuff that I've done since then has probably trumped everything before. Um, for some reason, I don't know why that is, or maybe it's, you know, just moving forward and, mm-hmm. and on with yourself. But the Maple Leafs forever piece is the one, I guess if there was one that I had to talk about that perfectly sort of uh, married this whole thing mm-hmm. into one union, it would be that. And, um, f- you know, it's for the, if you've out there, if you haven't seen it, it's, uh, basically, uh, I guess a love letter to the Leafs that I did. Um, it was the couple months after I was turfed from hockey night when CBC lost it and, uh, sitting at home in like September and I was just like kind of bummed. It was like the first, you know, time start of season. Yeah. Like since I was five years old, I, I have my background as I played, I, you know, like everyone played outside then inside and then grew up through the ranks in Toronto, played double A, triple A, then yeah. played junior B, played in the OHL for two years and played university for four and played pro for a year down in the States. And Guelph? Was that uh, I played, Guelph? yeah, university yeah. Guelph. I played Niagara Falls in the OHL before that and then <laughs> played in the hotbeds of Tupelo, Mississippi. Yes. I got traded after two exhibition games. Oh <laughs> wow. To Albuquerque, New Mexico uh, and played for the New Mexico Scorpions. Wow. Uh, for a year and then I was just like okay I gotta grow up and uh, right. so yeah like so and then kind of dovetailed into this industry here right out of that uh weirdly um I didn't go to school for it or anything but just sort of fell into it and but just so yeah this would have been 2015 and it would have been the first fall since I was five years old that there wasn't a team to go play for or a you know a season to get ready for so I was at home and I had all this footage on hard drives and I just thought oh wonder what I could do and the least we're at a really kind of low sort of point then Shanahan had taken over but um the things weren't you know it certainly was wasn't what it is now and uh so I thought well it's easy to kick someone when they're down let I wonder if I can make something to just sort of raise everything up around here and I don't know I'll just put it out and <laughs> whatever uh so I just started looking through footage and uh, my iTunes was playing and um my friend Ron Hawkins who's in band Lowest to Low one of the most brilliant songwriters in this that Canada's ever seen on this planet sure. I think like yeah. he's just like uh ironically wrote the first low record Shakespeare in my butt and along the streets out here a lot of about a song about the Carla Bridge and right, a song, of course. A song about the only cafe up on the Danforth and Riverdale Park he wrote a lot of the songs in so this is a, a area for that but yeah he had written um, one of my favorite songs I've ever heard a song called Peace and Quiet uh, about 2013 or 14 he did a sort of a live off the floor record of songs over his career with his band a new side band that he has the Duke of Assassins and they put out this new version of Peace and Quiet and it just came on uh, while I was looking through this stuff and I'd heard it a million times and I've always wanted to do something with it, but never really had the opportunity or the, um, situation come up to work. And just, it was like the light bulb went off. I was like, holy shit. And just like, 
was, I was, can't remember the footage. It was something old in film from like the fifties or sixties was playing and it just sort of like resonated. Wow. And yeah. it's a song about, uh, a friend of his who passed away, but also about his love of Kensington market in Toronto. Uh, Toronto's a, quite a central character in a lot of his songs, uh, lyrically. And so this song was about this friend who passed away far too young and his love, intense love of this area that he lived in for a long time. And, but it also metaphorically, perfectly tells the story of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I guess ultimately it's this idea of, you know, someone's undying love for something <laughs> on this planet. And uh, it's just all sorts of incredible musical rises and falls and it hits all the right notes and it gets quiet and then it gets heavy. Um, lyrically, it just, it's crushingly beautiful. And uh, yeah, so I just sort of kind of went to work and I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And then sort of got about 80% through and I emailed him like, Hey man, I, doing this thing and with one of your songs and I don't know the kind of, I'm just going to send you something and see what you think. And mm -hmm. so I just sent it over and he's like, Holy shit. Wow. And right. yeah, do it. Like you have my blessing, put it out, whatever you want. I was just going to upload it mm -hmm. and just, you know, whatever happens, see happens. What happens and, yeah. Let a couple and, people pick up on it. Yeah. So finished it. And, uh, it also has this really cheeky moment, which I think he like towards the end where it talks about, you seem just like a rumor now. So we've just riffed on the whole Stanley Cup not being here for quite a long time, but it, it's a very hopeful, optimistic song as well as sort of a melancholy, nostalgic to it. But yeah, it's just such a beautiful song. And so yeah, I just uploaded it and kind of went bananas overnight, just I guess through however social media yeah, however things these do tubes and these and twitters and instagrams yeah. kids and these days kids these days but yeah, i had a message the next day from one of the leafs video coaches and he was just like oh my god what is this <laughs> everyone's watching it here and uh one thing led to another and uh it went to babcock and to lou lamorello at the time and up to shanahan and a couple days later i was sitting in brendan's office talking about music and film <laughs> and uh dropped off a usb key and uh it's run at every game for four seasons now yeah. and I've updated it each year with uh, obviously when the team changed with Austin and getting Marner and uh, you know the just this the transformation yeah. essentially uh, yeah this whole thing and so yeah we've kind of agreed that this year would maybe be the last year we update it mm -hmm. and then the team sort of at its transitional moment now and mm -hmm. let's see where they go but yeah it's been crazy and uh, he said Brendan has said he's uh, had you know, seeing uh, elderly men cry in the stands watching it and just the reaction to it has been just wonderful and just people of all ages and male, female, hockey fans, non-hockey fans, like people who hate the Leafs watch and just go, oh my God, like <laughs> that's just, there's a, just a little bit of magic in that song that really mm -hmm. sort of dictates, I think, the rest of it. And yeah, so um, that thing is quite a thrill for me, I think, that where just sort of everything that I've done before sort of met in a perfect storm uh, to do this thing for the Leafs and yeah it's pretty cool why I thought your choice of song for Maple Leafs Forever was so great was because you also and you brought it up a couple times and I've had to oh like look at that I've yeah. had to keep myself from I didn't want to jump it too quick I wanted to make sure that yeah, yeah. I gave us some time to chat first but you also you ended the film yeah, yeah with he's born yeah. to it with yeah. the exact same song yeah, yeah, with yeah. a live version yeah, yeah. and and uh, I watched it again last night because I was like, okay, I remember when you put it out, you're like, hey, I'm doing a film. If anyone wants it, you can get it here. And 100%, I have this thing, and Dylan and I talked about it the other day, that if my friends are doing something, it's the most ridiculous thing to be like, no, I'm not going to give 20 bucks yeah, well, for totally, you to do yeah. this thing that you love. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I kind of had this neat collection at home of all the like books and CDs and DVDs 
that people that are within reach uh, have worked on. Mm. And so you pull this out and I put it in the DVD player, which I have not used a DVD yeah. player in a very long <laughs> What's time. What's a DVD player? I, I was very <laughs> thankful that one. it still ran. <laughs> and one of the things I thought of as I got to the end, I'm like, oh crap, he ends the song with Maple Leafs Forever. And you kind of, in a way, put a bow with Maple Leafs Forever yeah. using uh, Peace and Quiet. So both use it. And and your words at that point, you're like, when Ron stepped up the mic and started playing this song, a hush fell over the crowd. And that's when I realized that this is what this it's is all it. about. Yeah. And so I, I get chills now yeah. because it fell, obviously, at such a perfect point of the film where it allows a moment for reflection and you go, oh shit, I just learned all this stuff and we're going to be quiet for a sec and just listen because that's what the people in the crowd are doing and and, and everyone's focus is on this one specific thing. And so you kind of tied that up perfectly. But then when I thought of Maple Leafs Forever, I, I, I saw, at least I created that bridge in my own mind mm-hmm. that, wait a minute, this this is what it's all about. It's it's the the message, the people, the work, the hours, and that is the Maple Leafs message. That is yours, the filmmaker's message, and that's the artist's message. That it all boils down to, you know, together we are so much greater than the sum of our parts, and yeah. we all get this moment that we can share together at the end. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I didn't know you had that uh, surprise. Yeah, yeah, warts and all. To that was a you know, a love letter, I guess in and of itself. Um, but yeah, I remember that night, uh, it was at the Rivoli and it was, that record hadn't come out yet. So no one had heard this song and Ron's, it's a interesting career cause he's headlined the, well, I guess Budweiser stage w- was the Molson amphitheater sold at Massey hall. Um, you know, in the nineties, they were huge, huge band in this city back when you could call a radio station and request songs and build a career that way. And, uh, you know, traveled all over the place playing and he, but he's more, I think at home, like playing Lee's palace or he does these small shows to this day at the only cafe up in the Danforth. He played this place in Kensington called graffitis till it closed down. And, um, so that show was at the Rivoli. It was just sort of a solo acoustic concert and he's got a legion of incredibly diehard fans. His lyrics are so great that, you know, people just will go and watch and listen and just, you know, to whatever he's doing and cause they know he's going to deliver something really beautiful. And that's so that he'd played a, you know, a set and it was a Friday night and he ended the set with this new song and it was 1am or something on a Friday. So the room was, you know, as rooms get on a Friday night, it, it was, I do remember it being jammed to the Lush. rafters. It was completely sold out. I was sitting on a monitor on the side of the stage filming from there. And there were actually people It was so busy that there were people sitting on the lip of the stage right in front of them. And that room, it's, it's not a massive room, but it would probably hold 200 or something. Yeah. So there was like, Easily, you know, 200 plus in that room that night and a drunken crowd on a Friday night. Is this the back room at the river or is it upstairs? Yeah, the back room. Yeah, Yeah, the the back back room, room. which is a cool room and stuff. And then he goes, I'm, this is a new song called Peace and Quiet. And he launched in and it like, it it was shiver inducing. It was like pin drop silence in there. And it just unveiled this song that no one had really heard before. And uh, yeah, it was one of those beautiful moments. And it totally clicked just sitting there filming going, wow, this is, this is it. This you is know, it. I was trying to find my ending and that was the ending. And, uh, so yeah, it sort of came full circle. So yeah, maybe I didn't know if that would be the last hockey thing I ever did mm-hmm. the least forever. And, uh, turns out there's been a few things since, but it certainly puts a bow, at least for me on, you know, what I'm trying to do or what I did try to do. And, uh, yeah, uh, g- again, getting people you love and respect 
their music out there and uh, um, to a crowd that, you know, we did a thing where the, in the first season where they, uh, they did a little feature that they played, I think in the one of the intermissions in the first year that it was playing. And so they brought Ron and I down and we did this interview with uh, one of the producers there and they put this feature together, but then Ron came back and we came back like a couple of days later and they had, uh, they put the blue carpet out at center ice and it was completely empty, uh, ACC at the time. Uh, and you know, dark with lights flashing everywhere. And he went out to center ice and with his acoustic and sang the song, uh, Whoa. In an empty ACC. And it was, fucking chilling man yeah. uh so yeah i don't know if that still exists online anywhere i should yeah. inquire but yeah it was Track it down. so yeah it was cool because his like he grew up he was a goalie he played triple a and then he had, i think he had a chance to try out for the ohl marley's and then the guitar and the rock and roll world called him and thankfully it did but his parents used to go to leaf games when they were super young they're all from toronto and stuff so um yeah it was neat just to see like this tie of generations. And I guess that's what a lot of this stuff does is it ties generations together and gives meaning to, you know, thinking about your parents or your grandparents or eras gone by. And it just has this powerful impact, this hockey thing. Can we talk about the journey of the film? Are you, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah you down yeah. for it? So it was shot, it was shot over three years with five artists. Yeah. Am I yep. Close? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I started it. I'd done a few hockey docs for the NHL network. Mm-hmm. I worked there for a couple of years. Um, and I was just super into wanting to explore this idea of making docs for a living. And like, wow, I wonder if I could start to do that. And it was super early in my career. And then this idea came along and I met all these people and uh, just was so, as I alluded to at the beginning of this, like this idea of like a compulsion to do something for a living. And, you know, what lengths will someone go to, to, to be able to, to realize that or to realize dreams or whatever. And so uh, there's five people uh, the idea for this was I wanted to get someone just starting out, uh, someone who was maybe a couple, two, three, four records into a career, and then a few people that sort of had been through the ringer, so to speak, mm-hmm. and just sort of um, contrast who they are and what they've done with their lives and what they're hoping to do and just what is life like for them. And mm-hmm. as it turns out, uh, they're all vastly different, um, which was done purposely. I, mm-hmm. I spent a long time trying to find the you know, people who I thought would might be the great mix for this idea. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. Like after the course of three years was just to get more than a snapshot of like a few months or something, because things change so much and people grow. And I guess the biggest takeaway from it was how different they all were, but how similar they all were. And again, coming back to this idea, this is where I got it at this doing things for the right reason. You know, you can't, certainly not this day and age, make a living being a musician, uh, very easily. And you have to tour like crazy and you don't sell music anymore, really. Um, so how do you do it? Um, and you just find ways to do it. You have second jobs or you, you're a painter as well, or something that just sort of compels you. And, uh, so yeah, it was sort of like a incredibly indie film about incredibly independent musicians. And I tried for a while to get grant money and all sorts of things. And, that's a arduous process in and of mm-hmm. itself. You apply and you wait and you don't get it and you apply, you wait, you don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you get a little or whatever. And I just kind of realized at the time, finally, if this was going to be anything more than an idea in my head that I just had to go do it. Um, so yeah, just went and shot it over the course. We shot studio stuff. We shot concerts, bunch of interviews and just sort of crafted this thing at night and in the morning, you know, in the wee Before hours of the day, work, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. Uh, which coincided with the whole hockey night kind of years going. So it was this, really interesting back and forth with these two worlds that I was sort of living 24 seven. And I think the fact that it's not a glossy multi-million dollar documentary, you know, feature. And I love the ones like Mm. Blackfish was incredible, Yeah, but 
because of the subject matter, because you're walking through people uh, in their in their basement studio with Ellen or you know in their living room or backstage in a green room or something, the texture of the film speaks to the message of the film for sure yeah that the realities of, of the Canadian music industry and it was just a few weeks ago that I heard uh, an interview with Ron speaking about it, like just recorded a couple months ago or whatever, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking about the realities of the Canadian music industry and, and then how, how he's been fortunate. But the truth is, is just because you get radio play and just because your video might be on whatever you know TV station mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're rolling around in a Cadillac. Yeah. It doesn't mean no, far, that far you're right. set for life. And it's this weird thing, I think, as kids, because... I grew up listening to whatever the pop music was, you know, stuff your parents are into. And then, you know, 80s, 90s pop music. So I I think of Michael Jackson or Madonna or whoever the big pop stars are at the time. And then you go into Britney Spears and and the boy bands. And they're all, you know, way up there rolling the dough and have these big elaborate houses and gowns and stuff. But they get playing Canada right next to... Mm -hmm. um, I think of Kesha Shante uh, from Scarborough or someone like an Alyssa or Lois of the Low. And that's the, I think, aside from you with this film, Ron was totally my my touch point. Like Ron and Steven, Lois of the Low, that is the 90s definitively, you know, growing up being a kid who had a skateboard and played hockey sack uh, and was in his own garage band. Lois of the Low was, was the band that everyone wanted to be and get play on, on a radio station. And you never realize that here's four people forced into tight spaces with low money trying to 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 evoke this thing that they have inside of them and also trying to keep sane while doing two, 250, 300 shows a year. Yeah, that's and that's what breaks bands up. I think Gord Sinclair from The Hip said that in Long Time Running, that doc said, quote, paraphrasing George Harrison's wife, Livia was like the secret to a lasting band is that you don't break up <laughs> it's very simple you know uh yeah and that's in- obviously intrinsically you know many many layers to that whole thing but yeah. yeah it's the same you know with any group of people getting together again not to keep coming back to it but you better be in it for the right reasons yeah. or else it's gonna go sour that's one thing that the hip was so beautiful too is that for from the get-go they divided the songwriting five ways and it was never uh yeah i think they said you know, we didn't want, if it were to get successful when they started, they didn't know, but it was like, we don't want someone riding a bike while another person's driving a Porsche or something. Yeah. And I think Gord wrote that song, Love Over Money. Uh, and that's how we got good, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of speaks to that whole thing as well as anything. My parents, my dad what, DJed before I was born, yeah, me too, right? So, too. Yeah, yeah. so he had collections and collections that I got to thumb through and then uh, learn all these mixes and then he did all his own little tape. Uh, mixes like he'd have his whatever mix and it was on tape and then this mix or that mix but uh, the first song I can probably ever remember is one that he sang to me regularly at night and that was John Lennon's Beautiful Boy that had been written to his son and Uh, so that it's very it's such a powerful song but I think it, it the idea of being introduced to music in such a loving and caring way and that being really your, your your entry point into it and understanding that that's what music can play in my life. Mm-hmm. And then you go through your life and you have these soundtracks to 
to to everything you've done. You have your soundtracks to you know high school and then to your best friends and then college weekends. My mom shares my mom who first concert I ever went to was Collective Soul mm. and I was I think twelve and she drove us. It was in the parking lot of I think Mount St Louis Moonstone, oh, a wow. ski ski hill, yeah, yeah, and yeah. she drove us up so that we could watch Collective Soul and I was like massive fan i knew every word every song and 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 for that there's an accessibility to it so as an adult i think of it i'm like oh man i hope they made something off that show but the in my brain as a child you know there's a song my dad sings and then there's the music that's in the living room and there's the band that's in a parking lot and there's such an accessibility to music and having it shape your life um i mentioned i, I heard a recent interview with ron hawkins and he was asked, and I found this so interesting. They're like, do you feel like you could have found more commercial success out the board with your music if you did not tie it so closely to the Carlaw Bridge? And, and um, sure. And, and if it was just the bridge or the one down by the river or whatever it might be. And he says, yeah, no doubt. But then that takes everything out of it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of in my mind, I introduced, yeah, yeah, it's that it's an empty shell, right? Right. If you don't have Riverdale Park or or all these things that we, as listeners, it makes it again accessible for us to be able to touch. And I know you have such a, a personal and deep relationship with uh, the hip and their music, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's something yeah. they gave to Canadians as yeah, well. Yeah. Is just this piece of Canadiana, this piece of home that it's all right to talk about and sing about and relate about because it's ours and we understand it even if no one else does. Yeah. You write what you know and that, and you know, I never bought the theory that, Oh, this song's about this thing in Canada. So somewhere, someone in Europe or the States won't like, if that's the case, then that's incredibly lazy on listeners around the world. Because everyone has their own Bob Cajun. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, I wanted to learn about the world and about right. things, songs about home. Yeah, absolutely. But I wouldn't be put off of something because it's written about Paris or about Australia or something like that. Like that's the inquisitive mind. And there's pockets of fans for all those things. But yeah, no, for certain. Like that was uh, for, I guess, anyone who like a Leonard or an Elvis to that generation, you know, for me, Gord was probably the one that uh, spoke to me. Um, that was the first kind of thing that it was like this visceral level of like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, (laughs) this guy, these songs, you know, this voice, uh, to this day you hear that voice kick into songs and it just gives you me chills. And it, it's, you know, haunting in a way with everything that's gone down. And that was a, you know, I guess this whole idea of community and all that and the whole hockey night thing and the music community and everything that I've been doing is getting to meet him on a personal level was, uh, transcendent because you never know like people say don't meet your heroes or whatever mm-hmm. like that because you might be disappointed and then there are those times where you meet them and it far exceeds mm-hmm. anything you could ever imagine like he was the sweetest very caring kind human being and uh had the honor privilege of sharing a few beers over the years and talking to him and uh have a thread of emails from the last year of his life that uh i'll cherish forever mm-hmm. and uh i'd we weren't best friends or anything like that. I didn't know him incredibly well, but you would see him around the city all the time and, from, you know, have these conversations and usually it centered around the Bruins, <laughs> uh, but mostly music, mostly about music and just family and community. And he was always the same way that Ron writes about that thing. Like that was Gord's thing too. Like he wrote about the things that were around him and, and 
in a really incredibly beautiful way. And they're often the stories that are untold, so to speak, the, maybe the people that live in the shadows or the stories that, you know, you don't know much about. And he would had this, they both had this ability and all my favorite writers are like that, this to tell you something that you didn't really see before from a different point of view or something. But yeah, he was just a amazing guy and uh, it still seems surreal. I talked to, you know, people within his family or friends and it just doesn't even seem like I read something today about there's a uh, thing that was done, a project around the poet Al Purdy and uh, this record that they tried to get done and it's coming out. Um, they had a concert here during the week and uh, I think a couple of days ago. And um, anyway, there's people in there uh, doing spoken word and song versions of Al Purdy, uh, P-U-R-D-Y, uh, amazing poet, uh, his stuff. And it said, uh, in brackets, two of the performers are no longer with us. And it was Gord Downey and Leonard Cohen. And it was just like, it hits you again. And on first read, it was like, what are you talking about? It's like, oh yeah. And then reality yeah. hits in like, oh yeah, that thing happened. And uh but yeah, um, yeah, just grateful to have got the opportunity to know all these people uh, through the work. You know, essentially that's where everyone sort of gravitated towards. And you know, Gord told me that the stuff I do is really, really beautiful, and that kind of blew my mind. And you know, uh, just like to hear that out of someone that you respect so much and look up to. And uh, yeah, it's very powerful. I think the more time I hope but I, I believe this the more time we spend looking into ourselves and, and becoming more aware of who we are and becoming more aware of what's around us the more the people who are trying to do the same um, shine because then we can realize our counterpoint mm-hmm. uh, in someone else and, and what the efforts they're making and I would imagine from everything that I have gotten to just soak up from from Gord and everything he did, and I think of all the efforts and all the time he put into supporting the the Canadian, the Native Canadian community, and trying to realize that to its fullest. That someone who 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 chooses to peer inwards instead of look at others and look outwards, he is then able to see your art for what it is and appreciate it. And you might go, but you're Gord Downey from the hip. But all he is seeing is the same efforts that he's been trying to put in. And it's amazing we talk about soundtracks to our life. And you go through the, the through our lifetime, you and I, the hip albums and how right. you, know, you can go album by album and be like, yeah, I was here. Like for me, dangerous territory ever trying to speak of a favorite. But yeah, yeah. perhaps the first hip song I ever go to, if someone says the tragically hip, what do you think of? Uh, for Ahead by a Century? for whatever reason is the one that's just right there and I can picture the video playing on much music as yeah, if it yeah. was yesterday yeah. and exactly where I was but the guitar and the voice like it it's the soundtrack to our generation's life it feels mm-hmm. yeah that moment for me would probably be nautical disaster uh, to paraphrase Homer Simpson everyone knows rock and roll was per- perfected <laughs> in 1994 uh, with day for night and nautical disaster there's just something that encapsulates that song that it's not a song structure of verse chorus verse it's just this thing that starts and this uh musically goes in this thing where it builds and builds and builds and then it crashes and then it builds and builds and builds and then this incredibly beautiful lyric that unveils like a poem in front of you and there's no repetition in it it's just this thing that unfolds and you could take it in this idea of a lot of people think oh it's about the business sinking the bismarck or you know what it, blah 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 but i think ultimately it's about a relationship gone bad and mm-hmm. this this metaphor of uh 
using a disaster, not disaster, whether it's the sinking of a ship or something like that. But the beauty of that is it can mean whatever it wants to mean to whoever's listening to it. And, um, but it's just, I know it's beautiful when I hear it, I just get lost in this thing for three and a half minutes. And then if you hear live versions where he would go off on rants or Mm -hmm. tell stories or, or, you know, whatever, it's just beautiful stuff. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I think it boils down to, I was trying to think of this recently and it was like the music that I gravitate towards or the paintings or the people in my life or films that I like or whatever. It's always has these three things in common. And the one is everything sort of comes from an honest place. Mm -hmm. People come by it honestly. The second is people that sort of guide their lives or not sort of people guide their lives with integrity and one, they do it with a full heart. And the more I think about that, coming from an honest place, integrity and a full heart, it just sort of encapsulates everything that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's again, musicians or friends or whatever, it's this, uh, those three things sort of are the common thread to all of this stuff. Uh, and yeah, for someone like, you know, I got to, Jesus, I still can't believe it, but I got to do the opening to the Kingston concert. They asked me to do that. And I still, can't believe that really. And then after the unfortunate happened, uh, they asked me to do the Juno Awards tribute. And I was going to ask you about So that. I worked with Gordon's brother, Pat, on that. And it was, oh my gosh. Uh, the best way to describe that is um, for people who didn't see it, there was uh, sort of a what we called a one word tribute that Pat had thought up. Uh, and it was people from various walks of life in Canada were asked if you could describe Gordon in one word, what would it be? Uh, so everyone from like, the trailer park boys to, uh, Joe Thornton to, uh, Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer to David Suzuki, uh, and on and on and on would do this thing. And I threaded it together. And then there was a musical component, um, at the awards, Sarah Harmer with Kevin Hearn did, uh, part of introduce yourself, the song. And then Sarah joined Dallas green for Bob Cajun. It was, sorry, excuse me, out in Vancouver, this thing unfolded and I was out there and, uh, got invited to the um, I guess they call it close set rehearsal the day before. And there was probably, it was where the Canucks play. So a huge, massive arena and maybe 10 people in there at the time, a couple of technical people, uh, a couple of the executive producers. And I was standing there with, uh, Gord's brother, Pat and Gord's uh, other brother, Mike and Jen Presti, who was one of his managers and in this em- basically empty arena and full on rehearsal. And, uh, so Kevin starts playing the piano, Sarah starts singing the song and the video for that one were all these basically uh, landscape images of Canada, a lot of uh, winter, some storms, uh, summer up north, uh, weather vanes, all sorts of things that were just sort of weaving in and out. And then the for behind Dallas and Sarah singing Bob Cajun was basically Gord's musical life. So from the mid 80s through to, uh, you know, 2017. And uh, it was just standing there looking at, Pat and Mike and then up on the stage and just hearing this, the crushingly beautiful voices and Sarah sings. And it was like, just as it was in the live performance of the show, like just transcendent. And then Dallas kicks in and then you see on these giant screens, Gord's images. And I were looking over at Pat and he was tears scrolling down his cheek and Mike who hadn't seen any of this was hands in his eyes sort of crying. And it was just this insanely powerful moment. And, um, I saw Dallas Green after and he was uh, basically like saying it's incredibly sad that we have to do this, but how grateful to be able to honor a friend like that. And uh, yeah, it was just this, it's still hard to kind of describe that that 
happened and I got to be a part of that and it just sort of sums up this whole thing of like doing this you know with an open heart for the right reasons and uh um yeah it was so so powerful and uh yeah what an honor um and again with honesty and integrity oof, to yeah. to what the music was what the countryside the, the country scapes landscapes there we go right word yeah it's such a dedication like everything it seems that he gave us was a dedication back to the country yeah and then the i remember watching it and i knew i talked about thumbprint mm-hmm. and i'm like tim had a hand on <laughs> and i didn't yeah. know I, I, you have a feeling just because um and and dallas green has been one of, of sarah harmer actually both of them side by side mm-hmm. unbelievable oh, yeah just uh, other powerful <laughs> voices yeah. of the world let alone mm-hmm. uh, canada uh haunting was you use that word it's yeah perfect yeah. but in 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 the way that someone's presence resonates past their being mm-hmm. and not in like i'm spooked by it but you know, I'm thankful for this impact on all of our lives. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, it's hard to sort of articulate. I don't even know if I'm explaining it properly, but just how heavy, you know, that was and what it meant to me and what it meant to everyone, but just getting a chance to be a part of it was just an, what an honor and a humbling moment and something I'll always remember. And I go back and watch that a lot. I, you know, at least a couple times a month and, uh, just, still get the goosebumps watching like their voices. And then I have a hard time listening to any tributes that people are doing cover songs. And like, I just want to hear that voice. Right. Um, I respect the hell out of all of it. Um, but it's just, yeah, it just seems also surreal that it went down, but, uh, what a heavyweight, powerful, like force of nature he was. And we, and I do a lot of stuff for the <clears throat> worked with the Lake Ontario Waterkeeper, which is now swim drink fish Canada, which was an organization that Gord is a huge part of, uh, he was on the board of directors there and he did a lot of work in their galas and he went and worked in actually in the court cases and, um, helped them. They're basically an organization that is pr- trying to protect the waterways of Ontario, but Canada and ultimately, you know, working to, fight polluters and and just basically clean up the water so we can exist for <laughs> a, a few other generations or something more. and they're yeah. doing heroic work and he was a big part of that and they're a lot of their big thing was bringing art in to help elevate this cause and it was brilliant whether they have painters and musicians and i've done some films and stuff for them and uh um they spearheaded a campaign in kingston that finished this july and uh uh, there's a park right on the lake front, uh, right by Queens University. And the street there is a house across from this park is where when the Downies moved to Kingston, uh, they lived in a house there. And so they, Mike was telling me that they would uh, cross the street and there's a huge park there and they would go and play and swim in the lake and do all this stuff. And they would put a ghetto blaster out on the front porch and crank it up and cross the street and do their, you know, what teenagers and stuff do. Um, so the park and stuff had, is all sort of there and there's a pier that it kind of got a bit in disarray. So through, uh, the waterkeeper and the, I guess the Weston foundation, they had this sort of in the city of Kingston, the $6 million revitalization. So they fixed up the whole park and the pier itself, they revitalized, uh, through the waterkeeper and it's now the Gordon Edgar Downey pier. And they launched it in July and it's really beautiful what they've done. And there's a, kind of a small bridge that goes over to this pier that you can go dive into Lake Ontario and uh, there's all these swimming ladders to help people up and then there's a bridge part with a little sheltered area with a beach where kids can go and play and uh, um, it turned into this massive 
this would be in July. So up until it was too cold to swim, like there were hundreds and hundreds of people there every day, just hanging out and swimming and having fun that, uh, hadn't been there for quite some time. And, uh, so they had a dedication there and all the guys in the hip were there and the managers and all of Gord's family was there. And, uh, there was this moment where they do the dedication and Pat went to speak and say a few words and there, uh, everyone was sort of there. And at this exact moment, there was a, a ship that went by and it was sort of looked like a pirate ship, uh, had all these big masts and sails and all that. And at the same time, this kite surfer went by at the immediate time of when they were speaking and then a flock of Canada geese flew, uh, by. And I remember, Gord's sister, Shar said after, like, Jesus, was Gord at the controls for this or something? Like, uh, uh, you cue the kite surfer yeah, in yeah, now, yeah. and then we'll, we'll go for the Canada geese. Yeah, go for yeah. the Canada geese. So you hear moments of that, like, happening, like, where, you know, whether whatever people believe in or whatever, mm-hmm. but, like, he's still kind of here looking over, and uh, um, just the huge presence that he had and uh but yeah that was that was a pretty great moment <laughs> but it was uh, like wow someone yeah wow that's almost too perfect <laughs> like it's just like this is the exactly orchestra goes yeah yeah but uh yeah I, I feel stuff. like I could talk your ear off, but I've already well used up the hour we had promised. Oh. We even got into Jay Baruchel and the stuff oh, we did yeah. with him. Okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love for you to come back. I don't know. I hope I haven't annoyed you or freaked you out too much. No, that no. you come back, we'd be able to pick up this conversation again soon. Yeah. Uh, because this has been Yeah, the Jay stuff was just, just recently. Yeah, the Jay stuff was awesome. Yeah, and and uh, I'm such a huge fan of him as uh, an artist and as an actor and then for him to be able to pour his time and emotions into this and then you to join him with it i thought was a perfect pairing it was really cool yeah i can okay let's talk about jay now <laughs> it's fresh and it's, it's it's hot it's, it's hot. hot yeah 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 he's awesome he's a wonderful wonderful guy um in the hockey night years got to do a feature with him or on him essentially when the original goon movie was coming out i had never met him before we had a few mutual friends um always been a huge fan uh of his work of what he does how he does it where he does it um and i had this opportunity i did this series about hockey uh and art in this country and so we brought in musicians and actors and i basically talked about their love affair and, and put this thing together. And that would have been 2012 maybe. Um, and then a few years later he was on CBC for Canada reads. He was defending a book called two solitudes by Hugh McLennan. Uh, and so I had this weird idea at the time. Do you want to narrate some passages from that? And then I'll just use it in the opening this week and do this really cool thing. And it's like, yeah, yeah. So we did that. And, uh, he was in I wish we had filmed that cause he was in the voice booth. Like, you know, waving hands and doing this yeah. thing and it was just like oh my god <laughs> like it's just like one take boom mm-hmm. nailed it uh and then yeah so g- sort of got to meet and hang out a bit and uh um and then so his book born into it is coming not to mistake for born <laughs> yeah, to not, not mistaken for born to it <laughs> yeah no born to about uh it's a wow it's a very heavy book about life and family and hockey and the habs essentially uh he's a diehard Habs fan uh came to it through his father um and his mom uh and he wrote this book and he's and it is it just came out um and he was doing a Toronto launch and I thought oh I had all this stuff with him and a bunch of stuff that didn't make it into those previous two pieces so I thought I maybe be cool to do something and they're having an event through the puck talks people who had done some work with before so i touched base with uh the kevin who runs that and uh, he's like yeah that'd be great if you can do something and we can launch it before they come out to speak and uh 
so yeah, I, Jay didn't really know much about it or anything really. Um, and no one asked me to really do it and I didn't get paid to do it. I just wanted to do something to kind of, so none of it was, was new Jay stuff. It was all, it was, there was some new stuff. So, so what I sort of did was took the old pieces, blew them up, Mm -hmm. mixed them together, blew them up again, mixed them together, added a bunch of new stuff, um, and a bunch of Montreal stuff that has happened since then, uh, up to the current day essentially. And did sort of like, sort of like. I guess you could equate it to the Maple Leafs forever, but for the Montreal Canadiens, um, and it turned into this seven minute sort of love letter to the Habs. Um, my dad is from Montreal. Mine too. Oh, is he? Yeah, cool. So I have that. Yeah. So me too. It's like this strange, I grew up a Leaf fan, but I've always had this huge respect for the Habs and, uh, his dad, my grandfather played for the Montreal Maroons for a little bit mm-hmm. in the thirties and, you know, no money was made back then. So he ended up playing in these senior industrial league for Northern electric where he worked. And so a lot of the old Habs and Maroons would go and play in these like incredible leagues. And he's like friends with Newsy Lalonde and stuff. And he used to, he used to take my dad to the forum and they would go and I shit you not, they would sit and watch games about, you know, eight feet from where Danny Gallivan was calling games and stuff. He was in the building the night of the rocket Richard riot. Um, so I've grown up with these, stories of yeah. this fascinating place called Montreal and the, and the Habs and it's kind of when the hockey night stuff started steeped in this folklore and, uh, always had a massive love and respect for that city and that team. And so, yeah, I, I wanted to do this thing for Jay just to sort of help celebrate the launch of his book, uh, that tied into him and this thing that I, I what did I say? Like anyone who's fallen under the spell of the Montreal Canadians or something like that. And, uh, so yeah, we, we launched it and it played at his thing and he got really emotional and, um, it's a very touch, uh, you know, I don't want to give the book away at all, but, um, if anyone out there loves hockey or the Habs or Jay or anything to do with family or sports you know, or anything or life, essentially. Or yeah. Canada. Yeah. You know, like check, check, really, check, check, check. Yeah. Get the book yeah. and read it and find it for yourself. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Um, yeah. And did that. And, uh, he's just, he's doing things the right way. I think like he doesn't want to, he, I think falls under those three things I was talking about earlier, the honesty, the integrity, and the full heart. And I think they, he just did this, uh, the series for FX, um, man seeking woman. And they did three se- seasons, I believe. And it was shot here in Toronto. And when they was getting going, uh, they were trying to figure out where to shoot and all that. And he wanted to do it here. And I think he said like one of the executives or whatever was like, well, we don't shoot shows like that in Toronto. And he was like, well, that's not a good answer. <laughs> um, so we ended up getting them to shoot here. And you, if you look in the backgrounds, you can see different parts of the city and stuff like that. He's been a big champion of this country and obviously culture in this country and, and doing as much as he can here. Um, and just to sort of this fascinating career that's like, he's you know, almost famous and million dollar baby and obviously the goon movies and, uh, uh, knocked up and this is the end. Like all these, uh, some of like the Trotsky is one that I really like. There's one I love of his and I don't know if I've told him this, but, uh, it's called real time and it's him and Randy Quaid and it's based out of Hamilton essentially. And it's basically just a dialogue movie between the two of them. Um, and it's, I, I don't know. I it was one of the first things that I had seen after I'd met him. Um, so maybe it was sort of tied to that, but it was just like beautifully acted and very powerful kind of a, a movie that was just weighted on the conversation that these two actors have throughout this thing. And, uh, yeah, it's really cool. So yeah, uh, he's a amazing guy. (laughs) I think 
knocked up my favorite line he says i'm always a patriot to my country and my countrymen i think that's what he says because he has the he has the, the tattoo um, yeah, on his uh, chest over yeah. his nipple jay baruchel born into it yeah is the book the book is um, out Ron Hawkins, Lois Lowe, Shakespeare, My Box, yeah, I believe is the, the box new, set the new, yeah. that, that's coming out. In true Ron fashion, the first uh, record of a major label deal is a five album retrospective vinyl collection. It's just, of everything else. It's beautiful, but it's a full package with handwritten lyrics and old stickers and photographs. And um, yeah, it's sort of done in a road case, look like a musician's road case. Um, again, one of those things, if you leave through, you've can understand the the care and the thought put into it and uh yeah it's beautiful and now yeah, they have a new record coming next year and uh Tim Thompson yeah. born to it is born the name it. of the, yeah, that the, was that the DVD yeah yeah, yeah. The, DVD the <laughs> I'm going to try to get it online soon I need to That'd be amazing. update the yeah, completely. Uh, the uh technology on that front but uh, yeah no, I so, like it on DVD I don't yeah, care so, so. I still want something tangible it's, I, know, yeah, I yeah. think it goes back to like having a CD jewel case and lyrics and, or an album, like a, a vinyl album and yeah. then you open it up. I like having something in my hand. That's what I wanted to do. Ron did the cover painting for that. Uh, so I, I was early on. I'm like, I need to have a cover painting done for this thing. And he came up with this. I went, I met him for, <laughs> quickly. Sorry. Uh, to discuss the idea of this and I can't draw. And so I had like these stick people in this yeah. thing and I was like, circle face. I don't know. Face. This is sort of my idea is like, Hmm. And then he took a, pen paper and like two <laughs> seconds later sort of had the framework for me to look like, awesome yeah you're good you're like thank you i <laughs> yeah. appreciate everything you bring yeah um so yeah yeah that's that so um yeah check and, it. and then tim thompson films films.com yeah you can check out all you can check out everything from the uh the juno awards yeah everything's there um, the swim drink Jay fish Baruchel piece yeah that's there, there as well the leaf the stuff leaf there the swim drink fish canada lake ontario waterkeeper the hip stuff is there uh yeah, and more stuff coming. Um, a couple things that are just about to In get signed works. off on for the next year, and uh, a couple long form and Moving, some short shaking. form. And oh, that's exciting! Yeah, yeah. So, so will you come back when, when with the long form stuff. Will you come? Yeah, back? yeah. For sure. Can we talk about that as it's about to be. I'm not going to pry you. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. It's like yo, give me all the. No, no, no. We're still you waiting on back. some budget things. So until Completely. I don't want to jinx anything. Budget but, things. Uh, the machine. Uh, the machine. Yeah. Did, if you don't yeah. if, watch the movie and you'll understand the <laughs> machine. <laughs> uh, Tim, thank you so much for your time. I, I really know. appreciate it. I like. My pleasure. Uh, to end everything the same way. So with that in mind, I like to tell everyone to please be good to themselves and do the simplest thing possible, which is eat their vegetables. <laughs> and so from myself and from you, Tim Thompson, thank you for your time. From Dylan, who's running the board. From Luke, who's going to do the edit afterwards. And Charlotte, who does so much great work behind the scenes. Please, please, please be good to yourself. Take care of each other. Eat your vegetables. And eat your vegetables. You can take care of each other too. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> I had to sneak that one in there too. Go kale. <laughs> <laughs>